Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life, presented by Fantrax. Here's Jack Hughes. Source of information and analysis to help you win your fantasy hockey league. Barkov has a step in on Stalock. Barkov shoots and scores. Here's your hosts, Jesse Severe and Victor Nuno. Fantasy hockey live. Back to talk about fantasy hockey. I'm Jesse Severe, fan tracks. Joining me is Victor Nuno, Diver Prospects, EP Ringside. Victor, how you doing? Jesse, we have done it. We have done. <laughs> It's not impossible, but there were times where I was wondering if this day would come, and we have made it to the final team of the team preview, and I think we saved the best for last. I'm really excited, not only about this team, but about our guests, about everything associated with the New Jersey Devils. I don't know if you remember, but a couple years ago, I put out there that I would love to see the Swiss Twin Princes play together in Meyer and Heeshear, and it happened. So I'm pretty excited about that. I love Meyer. I think he's a great player. And I just wanted those two to play together. And I didn't think it would happen on the Sharks. So I was like, you know what? It's fine if it happens on the Devils. It's happening. What's that gift? It's happening. It's happening. Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> Victor doing the Michael Scott here on the ultimate of our episodes. You're not kidding, Victor. This We're coming in hot this episode. This is, this is a fitting uh, crowning achievement for these 32 team previews these new jersey devils these rising stars jack hughes is in our opening credits for a reason there's all kinds of fantasy goodness to come victor there's some things i'd like people to know about one of them is we have a discord it's free you can join in and talk fantasy hockey talk hockey with a bunch of people Again, for free. All you have to do to get in there is email us fantasyhockeylife at gmail.com or uh, you can hit us up on X at fanhockeylife at Victor Nuno 12. That's how you can find us. We just have to send you the link because that's how discords work. Victor, we also have cool things going on in the Patreon. Tell people about that. Yeah, great stuff in the Patreon. You can have access to the show notes, to the patron cast, top 10 list. We have patron priority channel on the discord and all kinds of great stuff like the patron ranks depending on what tier you belong to so lots of great stuff there if you enjoy the show want to help us out a little bit you can do that you can check it out at patreon.com slash fantasy hockey life time to talk new jersey devils with greg wachinski very 
We're pleased to be joined tonight by Greg Wyshynski, ESPN. You know him, you love him, to talk a little New Jersey Devils. Greg, how are you doing tonight? It's awfully presumptuous to assume that <laughs> your audience, by and large, loves me. I, I am known to to tweak a few fan bases here and there, but I think I'll, you know what? Here's what I'll say. I'll say that I'm never boring. I think is probably the thing that I would say. And sometimes it's just that's enough for people. Is that like me or dislike me? I'm never boring. <laughs> Greg, the New Jersey Devils were a team that I used to say were a little bit boring, but now they're not. Just like you said, you yourself are not. They have been building up and they have now made their high finish in the division. Only once in the last 12 years prior to last year did they finish at least fourth in their division. It was always below that. It barely even made the playoffs in that span. Last year shot up to second in the Metropolitan, third in the NHL in standings points overall. Fourth in the NHL in goals and shots, limited the opposition to the fifth fewest shots, above average save percentage. They got out of the first round of the playoffs, not only into the playoffs, but out of the first round. Sometimes you worry about that. Uh, what do they call that in uh, baseball? The the bounce back principle or something like they jumped up now to this new level of the standings. Do you think that New Jersey's level of improvement last year is sustainable or do you suspect there's going to be some regression this year? I, it's an interesting question because I, I do think they're as good as as advertised last year. Like I think offensively, they're even better than they were last year with some of the additions that they made. I do think though the things that give me pause are on the, the back end. Um, Vitek Vanacek, I think, is a is a good solid goaltender. He's a good complementary goaltender. A lot is going to depend on what sort of jump Akira Schmid takes for them this year. Um, Certainly saw a good amount of potential in the playoffs last season, uh, including two shutouts in the playoffs, which is no small feat. With those two as your tandem, that's one question mark. And the other thing that happened to the Devils is that they had some changeover on their blue line. Now, granted, it does clear the way for Luke Hughes to join the team, which will only be a good thing. And eventually we'll clear the way for Simone Nemesh to join the team, which will only be a good thing. But I do think that they're going to miss Ryan Graves and they're going to miss Damon Severson, which I know is something that a lot of Devils fans refuse to believe. (laughs) But they'll miss Damon Severson and Ryan Graves doing the little things defensively that helped clean up their own end and helped add some veteran savvy to what could at times be an inexperienced group in the back. So I, I... I think that's what gives me pause about them, but nothing else does because I think that they're uh, as good as advertised offensively. And certainly the reason they finished where they finished last year is because they figured out how to play defense in relation to that offense. They they learned not to abandon their own zone when they were on the rush. They learned how to get back defensively. Like Jack Hughes was as good defensively sometimes as he was offensively. And they all learned that if you're good in your own zone and you're good in the neutral zone, that will lead to offensive chances. And I don't think there'll be a regression to that end. You mentioned Jack Hughes, and and he's one of my absolute favorites. In fact, he's in the title sequence of our opening music because of me, because I absolutely love him. And he had a career high in points, point pace, game plays, games played. He was just awesome this season. He didn't quite hit 100 points, but 104 point pace was just incredible. 43 goals. One area where he's not great is his block shots and hit numbers. He's great for shots, but some of those other peripherals are are not going to be there. 
seven years left at eight million already feels like a bargain, I would say. And I just I don't know. It feels like this guy even has another level, perhaps. Do you think, Greg, that 100 point pace Jack Hughes is here to stay and, and maybe even higher levels, like maybe 110, 120 point pace? What do, what do you think we can expect from Jack Hughes this season and maybe a little beyond? first of all, I don't want him throwing the body. <laughs> like, this was one of the reasons why he had the year he had is he stayed in the lineup for the, really the first time in his career. And, and that's tribute to him learning how to play in this league a little bit more than maybe he did in previous seasons where he took some knocks. And I think it, it was also a tribute to his preparation and putting on some muscle because he came into this league looking like a soaking wet Timothy Chalamet. And now he can take a hit now and again. And that's a good thing. I do, it's funny you should mention the 100-point thing because a lot of Devils fans uh, will tell you that this franchise has never had a 100-point scorer. The closest I believe they came was Patrick Eliash before Hughes' season last year. So the, this, the, the season in which he crosses 100 points will be a time of celebration for Devils fans because it will mean that they finally get their 100-point score. And I think he'll be the one to do it. One, because like I said, he's learned how to play this game where he's great in his own zone, great in the neutral zone. It leads to his offense. They're playing with pace. They're playing with speed. It feeds right into his kind of game. And and more importantly, they keep surrounding him with great offensive players. Having a, a goal scorer, the likes of Tyler Toffoli potentially on his wing all year is only going to benefit. And no matter who he's played with on in that lineup, it's clicked pretty well. So all those things add up to him being someone that's only going to continue to improve and, and improve on his numbers, I think. Nico Heeshear finished second in Selkie voting last year. Boy, really <laughs> popped up. 74 forward lines in the NHL skated together more than 200 minutes at five on five. And the Heeshear Mercer Tatar line was second in the expected goals for percentage. They tilted the ice when they were out there on the ice together. In raw individual stats, Heeshear, 80 points by far a career high, went from two shots a game to three in roughly the same ice time. Unlike the prior four years, he stayed on the ice for 81 of the 82 games this year. If he's not living up to the one overall potential, at least he is showing that he is a really excellent player at the NHL level and showing what he's got out there. Was last year the real Nico Heischer that we should expect to see in coming years, Greg? Yeah, totally. And I think that you mentioned him being second for the Selkie. I, I wrote a column for ESPN.com doing bold predictions for every team. And I think my bold prediction for the Devils was that he'd win the Selkie. And that's an award that has been tough to grab. If it's not Patrice Bergeron, it's been Andre Kopitar basically for a decade with a, a Ryan O'Reilly here or a Sasha Barkov there. But it's an award that certainly does eventually get to the players that sort of bubble under the surface. Like Couturier bumbled up, bumbled, bumbled under the surface until he won. Same thing with Barkov. I feel like he shares that guy. And you combine that with the point total, which for some reason, the Selkie always seems to be reliant on guys being good offensively, even more so than defensively sometimes. And the fact that he's seen as the defensive linchpin, that that quintessential second line two-way center on a championship level team. I, I think the production will be there, but I also think the accolades will be there too for him. Yes, for Brad. I think last year there was maybe some question, were the Devils going to retain him? Were they going to be able to pay him and keep him around? And they most certainly did. He was rewarded this offseason, second great year of performance in a row in a brand new eight-year, $63 million contract. He had 32 goals and 41 assists last year in a full 82. He had 212 shots and he only skated 1722 a night. 
It probably helped, Brad, that his most common forward line mates last year were in order, Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. <laughs> That's the pretty good guys <laughs> to get out there and show what you got with. What do the Devils have in Brat? Now he's coming to his own. He's getting paid. He's going to be a star in this team. What's his ceiling? I mean, that you're right about it being a surprise. He had taken short-term contracts before last season, and it looked like it was going to be a real bloody negotiation. I was rather shocked that they got him locked in for as long as they did. But I think that goes to show that he finally found a financial number that he felt was complementary to his skills and and also wanted to be a part of what they were building in Jersey. And I think that's a testament to the talent that they've surrounded him with. Really good player. I think Brat is is somebody who, again, we're just scratching the surface of what that upside could be. And no matter where he's playing in that lineup, he's been an asset to them. And, and it's going to be fun to see exactly what he brings to the table this year. Definitely excited to see that. I'm also excited to watch Timo Meyer, and I have watched Timo closely yeah. for years as I live closest to the Sharks, and I called him an evolving superstar after his 47-point pace season. People thought I was crazy, but I think he showed it the year after that. And then this past season, he had 40 goals, and it sure seems like he can do that again. They paid him. He's got 8.8 million reasons to, to be in the lineup and to get that top deployment and eight years left. He's also amazing for block shots and hits third at his position for bash so you really have to think that he's going to be good value even if he somehow doesn't hit those 40 goals in fantasy but i think he can get close to point per game or maybe even a little higher greg what do you think about that for meyer he's he's certainly going to get really good deployment i would imagine even between if he plays either with hughes or he's here is going to have a great centerman right yeah, he's going to be in their top six without question. Last year, the story obviously was the lack of production in the playoffs, where having watched most of those games, it was more like he was just snake bit versus being ineffective. That guy was pumping shots on goal in the playoffs, just like he was in the regular season. He, When he came to the Devils, I think he ended up with over, I think it was over 11 shots per 60 in his 20 some odd games with the Devils after the trade. So Again, shot volume is going to be great. He's going to get his chances in the top six. I, I agree with you. I think now that the the trade wins have settled down, that's a big change for him too. Like you said, man, I, I lived in the Bay Area for two years. Uh, and, and I know for a fact that those guys in the Sharks are pretty comfortable living in the Bay Area. So when you all of a sudden you're moving across the country to Jersey, where I grew up, I love it, but still Jersey, it's a lot. So I'm sure there was probably some other underlying things going on with Timo last year. He's probably a little more, more comfortable in a life situation too. And if nothing else, you can expect him to pump a lot of shots on goal this year. Greg Tyler Toffoli is now a New Jersey Devil. He, of course, started out with the Kings and he had a little four-year Canadian tour there, which nothing bad (laughs) for Tyler. He's from Canada, I believe. But now he's again south of the border. He enters his age 31 season coming off a career year in Calgary last year. He had 34 goals, 39 assists, 268 shots, all career highs in a full 82 games. Impressive he hit those career highs on a Flames team that wasn't exactly burning things up last year in terms of the overall performance relative to prior. What do you expect to Foley's role to be being dropped into a pretty crowded forward group on these Devils? We're talking about a lot of uh, high-line players here. Do you expect any kind of a drop-off as he turns 31 here? And then also famously, like the only guy in the Flames that likes Daryl Sutter. 
having played with him in for him in LA. <laughs> Everybody else, get me the hell out of here. This guy's the coach. To pull his guys, all right. <laughs> I think I'm listening. I, I expect them to play with Hughes first of all, uh, and and get a good look there early in the season, and hopefully those two find a way to click, which I think speaks well to what his numbers will end up being. But from a tactical standpoint, this was such a smart move because you needed to find a veteran scorer that had playoff experience and playoff success and somebody that could get you that goal in a series like the devil's experience against the Carolina hurricanes where one goal could have tipped the series. Like they'd still be playing if they had gotten one goal in some of those games at a critical time and, and they couldn't. And part of the reason they couldn't is because Tomas Tatar, who, as you mentioned, is a great play driving forward and had great chemistry with he hasn't scored a goal. I think in his last 40 playoff games, it's some ridiculous total now for Tatar and it really huh. came to haunt the devil. So going out and getting a guy that's a proven playoff scorer and performer and a guy that's been on championship runs before was so smart. And I think to is a, a, an ideal addition to that lineup. Yeah, not Tatar now, but Mercer, the third member of that line, Greg, his surface stats certainly improved in his sophomore year, 82 games, Roughly 16.5 minutes, both of his first two seasons. But he went from 42 to 56 points. Helps that he went from the decent Andreas Janssen and Igor Sharangovich the year before to the guys we talked about a little bit of Nico Hischier last year. And he scored 16 goals post-All-Star break. 15 of them were at even strength. Eight of them had Nico on the primary assist. So obviously, he Mm -hmm. ate it up out there with Nico Hischier. Is his emerging talent reliant on playing with these two big centers? And if so, will he be playing with one of the two bigs? No, I think I don't think it's necessarily reliant on who he's playing with. I think he's a super talented offensive player that's going to be able to create some noise of his own. And, I, and again, like you go back to that Timo Meyer trade, there was a lot of discussion of what the Devils would give up. And I know that Dawson Mercer was off the table when it came to that trade because they're so high on him. And, and high on him is, as again, like, one of these collection of two-way forwards that they love that can brutalize you offensively, but also take care of business defensively. He's one of their key penalty killers as well. So I like Mercer's game a lot. I think he adds that great two-way element to this lineup that they need. And again, like with tremendous offensive upside as well. Any other, just generally throwing it out, any other forward we should really be expecting to get top deployment on this team, Greg? They were toying around with trying to play Alexander Holtz a little bit in the top six during the preseason. I don't know if he's going to stick or not, but I thought that was interesting because that kid's got a ton of talent. Eric Halla plays up and down the lineup. He saw a lot of time with Hughes last year. I think they work well together, but ultimately he's probably more of a role player. Same with Andre Palat at this stage of his career. No, I I think the ones we covered are going to be probably most likely five of the, maybe the full top six or at least five of the top six, depending on how they deploy Mercer. Can I just follow up on Holtz real quick? Because I know he's someone that people are really excited about. And I know that he has struggled like with his two-way game. I'm wondering what you're feeling or what you know about the feeling of the Devils on him. Does he Has he made enough of an effort or improvement in that area to be given a legit shot to be a scorer in the NHL? I think we'll find that out during this preseason. Like I said, they're giving him run with Heischer at least in some of these games in the preseason. And and I think that's a sign that they're hoping that he's turned the corner. Certainly a an important, maybe their most important prospect up front that they have in the system. So it remains to be seen, but he's, he's super young, right? So he still has some time to grow and, and they've been very 
adamant about also hanging on to him when there have been overtures to maybe pry him off the roster in trade opportunities. I expect they're gonna they're gonna give him all the time that he needs to try to figure out his game. Moving over to the blue line, there's a couple guys here, a couple of big time guys to talk about. It seems to me that before these super prospects that we're going to be talking about, then they've drafted a lot of big time defensemen on this team are going to move in. They're going to have to get past Dougie Hamilton, who might be, if not the top defenseman in fantasy hockey, he's right there in the small team picture. He is definitely an elite offensive defenseman. After a drop in scoring his first year in Jersey, he was back up to 74 points, nearly three and a half shots in a block per game. 27 power play points were among the best in NHL defensemen, and his eight power play goals was tied for first in that category for defensemen. Still got the team's highest AAV and the most time on ice for the team last year. So presumably the team has invested in him and keeping up that role despite some of the guys coming up from his rear. Do you expect Dougie Hamilton to maintain this dominant role as uh, the main man in the New Jersey Devils blue line? Very much. His pairing with with Jonas Siegenthaler is by far their steadiest and best pairing was last year. I expect it to be again this year. Like you said, he gets PP one time, five on five. He's instrumental in starting some of those plays, those long stretch passes that he has when guys are streaking down the ice. He's usually the one that gets plays going a lot of the time at five on five. Incredibly valuable player. And and, and again, like the, that, we had that mini trend for a while in this league where teams were investing in players before they were ready to need a player like that. We saw it with the Rangers, with Panarin. We saw it with the Devils, with Dougie Hamilton. To a lesser extent, we saw it with the Kings and, and Philip Deneau, where it's like, we're worried that this kind of guy won't be there when we need him. And the Devils, I think, were really smart to throw a lot of money at Dougie Hamilton when he was the bell of the ball in defensive free agency in order to secure his services before they really were ready to have a number one defenseman like that. And I think it's really paid dividends. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the guys that left already, Severson, Graves, those are guys that have had some fantasy value in the past. And at this point, with those guys gone, I guess the next guy is Luke Hughes, who is also the future, right? So it's exciting that hopefully he'll get some opportunity this year. He obviously has a super high pedigree. Jack's youngest brother, and or younger brother, he has looked really good in his small sample size. A few points in two games are at point per game defenseman, right? Of course, not really. Two years left on that RFA deal. He's really cheap in cap league. So that's really exciting. And seems like he's going to play maybe second or third pairing, probably get some sheltered deployment, I would imagine. He's not taking over for Dougie, but maybe he gets second power player. Maybe they sneak him onto the top player. I don't know. What do you think we can expect from Luke Hughes this season, Greg? Oh, I, I do think that there's a chance that we're going to see him play a lot of PP1 this year. I, I think that his skill set is perfect for a situation like that. Like you said, he's a, he's an agent of chaos right now. You saw him in the playoffs. Yeah, he touches the puck. It's electrifying, but it could easily be a turnover the other way. And in the regular season, you could probably get away with that a little bit. In the playoffs, you certainly couldn't. But I, I do think that when it comes to those opportunities on special teams, they'll trust him a lot to be the point on the power play with a, a really talented group in front of him. So uh, that's the place I keep an eye on, honestly, with, with Luke. I mean, he's going to get his ice time for sure at five on five. But I think the biggest opportunity for him to make a statistical splash could be moving up into that power play spot. I would love to see it. That'd be super fun. 
And the rest of the guys on this team, I think, as you mentioned, are good real life additions to help the team. I'm not sure <laughs> any of them have fantasy value. Seeking Tharl is, I think, great. Marino is, is pretty good. But do you think anyone else can hit 40 point or 40 point pace from the back end? Nah, nah, not really. <laughs> Marino's solid. Like all these guys are solid. Colin Miller was a, a good addition as a veteran one year guy. The other guys like Brendan Smith and Kevin Ball serve a different purpose than uh, putting points on the board. It's going to be your Dougie. It's going to be your Luke Hughes as the leading scorers from the back end. Yeah, that's the way I see it, too. Glad you agree. So let's move over to the net now. And as you alluded to in the intro, this is definitely a big question mark here. And we saw Vanacek. We saw Schmid last year. We saw, obviously, some Blackwood, too. He's gone. They brought in. Eric Schalgren, who in limited appearances was okay. I don't think they're going to rely on him, but I imagine they're going to see what they have between Vanatek and Schmid. And certainly, as we all know, they turned to Schmid in the playoffs and he looks pretty good at times. The contract dictates a little bit more for Vanacek. What, what do you think we can see there? It seems to me like Schmid is, is definitely the value guy because maybe you can get him later mm -hmm. and maybe he takes over. But I would be nervous, frankly, <laughs> drafting Vanacek because although he may get the first crack, he I don't know that he's going to play 50 games or whatever, or the majority. So What's your read on the goalie situation there in New Jersey? I think he, he could, though. He's steady. That's the thing about Vanacek that I think that they liked about him is that when they had the other option as Mackenzie Blackwood, they just wanted some stabilizing force in the crease. And, and Vanacek, he's, first of all, he's really well-liked in that room. They like playing for him. And, and I think that he was able to really be a steadying presence in that crease. But the problem is, though, is I think that they see Akira as having the higher ceiling. And really wondering what they have there it's reminiscent a little bit of the oilers if jack campbell was good <laughs> like having the the veteran guy who was a complimentary guy that you bring in to be stable guy and then there's the kid that could really take you where you want to go if he's that good and the devils are in the same boat as that they also have other options too like i saw they side keith kincaid who of course was like the miracle worker for them during that one run to the playoffs where taylor hall ended up one of the heart that was like the best two weeks of Kincaid's life as a goalie. So I don't know. I'm, the Devils have been known to be a team to play more than two goalies in a season. I wouldn't surpri be surprised to see that happen again. And then the other thing, too, you have to keep in mind is that there's a lot invested in this season. There's a lot invested in this team. Their window to, the, to win is pretty large. But they're also a pretty aggressive team when it comes to player acquisitions. We still have some pretty big names out there, like Connor Hellebuck, like UC Soros, who, depending on the fortunes of their teams and the fortunes of, a, in Hellebuck's case, contract negotiations, might come up available. And who knows if the Devils are going to throw some of their assets, both draft capital and prospects, to maybe go find a, a more permanent solution and goal. Tremendous, Greg. Thank you so much. This has been a great tour through the New Jersey Devils and a great talk with you. To see your work, generally, I just open up ESPN and go to the hockey section and there's Greg Wyshynski. <laughs> but how should people keep up with all the stuff you got going on out there? I do write a lot. Yeah, it's ESPN.com. The NHL section is the best place. But I also want to uh, mention that my friend Arda Ocal and I do a show called The Drop and it is now twice a week and also in podcast form. So if you're somebody who Enjoyed listening to me with uh, Jeff Merrick or enjoyed Puck Soup when I was there. Now I've got my own little hockey podcast world again. So you can find that wherever you find podcasts. And then also there's a video version available on YouTube if you like to watch people talk or just like to have the YouTube algorithm spit hockey at you. 
Hopefully it will spit me at you, which sounded gross, but you're trying, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. So much for coming on and uh, good luck in following the NHL this year. You got it. Thanks, boys. Wilson. And Ovechkin fires past up. Oh, my goodness. Luongo with a cat-quick grab. Now it's your weekly goalie talk with Kat Silberman. Cat's Instincts. Time for another edition of Cat's Instincts with Kat Silverman of Ingle Mag, New Jersey Devils edition. And we're going to start with someone that a lot of people know already because Akira Schmid was already playing in the NHL. He was a 2018 fifth round pick, six foot five, 205 pounds. We mentioned on a recent episode how that 2018 draft for goalies started off with question marks. And then he was taken as one of the later goalies and has proven to be one of the better ones, at least so far by his NHL performance. He was really good, albeit in a really small sample size, that he outperformed his New Jersey teammate, and he also took over in the playoffs. And so he's been looking pretty good. His equivalency has really trended up, in particular this past season, where he went from 25% chance of being an NHLer to 61. We know he did play in the NHL, but the question is how how ready is he and what is his long-term upside, I think, are the main questions I have remaining about Akira Schmid. What do you think, Kat? What do your instincts tell us? And will he? do you think he can be the starter as early as this season? Because Vanacek has been up and down in his performances. So what do your instincts tell us about Schmid? I think Vanacek is hilarious. He seemed very content to be the 1B to Ilya Samsonov in Washington when he was drafted there. I remember a very funny interview where he stood there and let one of his teammates translate the entire interview for him and gave two-word answers, and they would give a long explanation. So he he just rolls with it. He looked really good last year, though, for someone who was making the bounce back. Uh, it was fun watching Akira Schmid kind of chase Mackenzie Blackwood, not just out of the net for the season, but he is no longer in New Jersey at all. So I do think that, at the very least, we're going to see Schmid as their 1B. Um, I think he's ready for it. He's always played not an unremarkable game, but a game where I watch him play and I'm not nervous, which is, I think, the New Jersey way. I don't know. That's a weird team for me because every time I think they're in rebuild mode, they make the playoffs. And every time I think they're taking a step forward, they end up in the lottery winning another Hughes brother. We will see how they perform in front of him. I think that's going to be the big thing is seeing how the rest of the team performs in front of him. But if they look fine, I think he's going to look good, too, because he he doesn't really do anything outlandish. And he's got decent speed. He's got good control. His tracking is really good. And that's what I liked about his game as far back as when he got drafted. And it really hasn't seemed to go away for him. So I think as long as he keeps that up, should be fine. One thing I noticed about him in the limited views was it seems like his mental game is pretty strong. He seems to not have too many ups and downs. I don't know that's necessarily the same with Vanacek or maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I really liked his, <laughs> I really like Schmid's mental game. And he seemed to, yeah, he seemed to be able to just roll with it a little bit better than I've seen Vanacek. Do you think that matters? And, and also the Devils seem like they might be one of the best teams in the league. So we all want the starter on the New Jersey Devils, if possible. And Vanacek's generally going earlier than Schmidt. So it seems like that might be a really good value pick if he has a chance to overtake. 
Absolutely. I think Vanacek's biggest concern for me when I watched him play was he almost plays Eunice Corpusalo, almost a little too flat to his goal line, even when he's coming out and trying to get some depth to his game. And so he ends up with these weird holes in terms of his angles and his positioning. And he's a guy who likes to move around in the net. He loves to come out of his crease. He likes to come outside of the blue paint and get a little aggressive, which works in his favor when it does. And it really does not work in his favor when it doesn't. But it looked like last year, some of that was being reined in. So best case scenario is he continues to work on that consistency. Because like you said, I don't think Vanacek is quite as good at controlling the variance between his highs and his lows. Best case is he learns to control that and they have a stellar 1A, 1B tandem. I don't think that one of them is going to get 70 starts while the other one only gets a 12, something like that. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that kind of a split. I think we're going to see more of a 50-32, 40-40 type split. It's just a matter of which one gets the majority of those starts, which honestly might end up being Schmied, depending on what Vanacek looks like throughout the season. Yeah, that's been my play this season is I'm I'm taking Schmied wherever I can because I, I like to wait on goalies anyways. And so he I like him more than Vanacek and I'm getting hit of value and he might take over. So all of those things align for me. But let's talk about the other guy. Actually, there's a couple other guys, but Nico Dawes is the next one we're going to talk about. He's a 2020 third round pick, six foot four, 205 pounds. He had 25 NHL games in 2021 22, which might have been a bit premature. And then he had zero this past season. He was back in the AHL and it seemed like they called Schmidt up and he ran with it this season. So, anyways, he looks pretty good in the AHL this past season, was Nico Dawes, even though maybe the previous season he was asked to do a little bit too much his equivalency looks really good he's up in the 50 percent chance of being an nhler that time in the nhl two seasons ago really helped him he's german and so of course i pulled up a german comp philip grubauer he actually has the exact same equivalency in his d plus four season as grubauer did who is an average starter obviously he did really well with the avalanche and then now in Seattle has been struggling a little bit, but he's the for sure starter there. Maybe Dawes can be that in the future. What do you think his, what do your instincts tell us about Nico Dawes' upside, Kat? He's really frustrating to me. He He's a German goaltender who, if I remember correctly, came over to North America and then went back to Germany during the pandemic when there wasn't a place for him to get starts here in North America and then came back over after that and has been in North America ever since. He's really big and he is really slow. He almost reminds me of a slightly more controlled, but slightly slower Hunter Jones, which can be a good and a bad thing because he is more controlled, but he also is a little bit slower. A goaltender playing over in the DEL during the COVID pandemic, who I knew from prior camps, I reached out and said, hey, Nico Dawes is over there. Have you gotten a, a little peek at this kid and anything you want to tell me and he said he looks like he works really hard he looks like he has all of the technical foundation which if I remember correctly his dad is a goaltender as well and so he has a coaching history in his familial background but he was slow and he said he's big but he's not moving a lot and that's something that he had to work on his skating his speed his reaction timing, those top tier desperation saves, which 
if there's a team to have those potential weaknesses to your game behind, I think it's the current version of the New Jersey Devils because they're, like you said, they're a really strongly put together team who in theory should be a really top performing team this year. But I don't think he's ready for the NHL and I don't think they need him to be by any stretch. I think he is ready for just consistent AHL action this year. They did bring him up a little too early through no one's fault. I think they just didn't have anyone else to bring up there and didn't want, I think Akira Schmid may have been injured when they first brought him up. And if he wasn't injured, I think they just wanted him to continue getting reps while Schmid or while Dawes sat in the background there as the number two. But I don't know. That's It's been a really weird situation in New Jersey. They keep putting guys in and starts that I don't really understand and calling guys up when they could call someone else up and signing goaltenders that kind of surprised me a little bit. So we'll see how it goes. Nico Dawes, I don't think is NHL ready right now, at least in terms of reaching his potential, but I think he could be. I think the fact that he has a high NHL equivalency rating is not an anomaly. I think he will be an NHL or I just don't know at what level? I don't know if he's quite Washington, Colorado, Philip Grubauer. Nice. Thanks for that. And then the last one, Tyler Brennan, who was a 2022 fourth round pick by New Jersey, six foot four, 181 pounds. He was very old for his draft year. I always find that kind of interesting for these players. He was just a couple of weeks away from being eligible for the previous draft. He really did not have great numbers for Prince George of the WHL last season. And that's where he's been the last last few seasons. He's been trending down, actually, in his save percentage. His underlings look like he's a little bit at or below league average for what he's performing at. And looking at his equivalency, 28%. So he's got some fairly modest comps. The best one, probably Andrew Raycroft, who was a replacement <laughs> level so, Kat, what do your instincts tell us about Tyler Brennan? He's a fun one because he was one of two Tylers playing for the same team um, and not a very good team. Uh, the Prince George Cougars are respectfully a very bad team in the WHL. They're a team that struggles defensively and not just when it comes to whether they have defense or not it's just chaotic defense if anyone wants to get a study in how to handle chaos watch tyler brennan and ty young the other tyler that they had on their team watch the two ties playing behind the prince george cougars because they are just made of chaos and i think it's interesting watching how ty brennan and ty young handled that so ty young was a guy who really just was all about technique. He kept his technique consistent. He didn't deviate. He didn't try and get too chaotic or frantic behind the disaster and said, you know what, I will keep this ship steady. And if they allow goals, I'm still working on my reps here. And Ty Brennan threw everything but the kitchen sink at the puck. His style was all over the place. And I think it worked out in equal measures of success for both goaltenders, which is proof that it is not their styles. It is the team in front of them that did so poorly. 
I'd love to see Ty Brennan playing behind a team with even just a fraction more structure, just to see what happens, because he really did just throw any semblance of technique out the window when they would just enclose on him. I watched too many Prince George Cougars games just watching to see what happened there because it really was just chaos. And I want to see what he does. Even if the defense allows some lapses, when he knows what decision the defense in front of him is going to make, because he was left with a lot of sort of decisionless movement from his defense. And so he he had really good reflexes, really good reaction speed, wasn't super easy to shape, like he was constantly willing to make that third and fourth and fifth save, which no goaltender should have to do that many times. But I don't know what that's done to his ability to just sit back and wait for the play to come to him. I don't know if he's developed too much of an instinctual, almost Alex Stalock-ish type game. I don't know if he's a little too frantic. So we'll see how that goes. I think he's going to be a project through no fault of his own, but he should be a fun project for Jersey because I they they really were a fun team to watch. Maybe not a fun team to play for but a fun team to watch. <laughs> Reminds me of that gif with the dog with the burning fire. This is fine. I'm fine. That's exactly what their defense was. It it truly was. And Tyler Brennan sounds like the tryhard of the group, just trying to do anything he could to make it happen. And and actually, if you look at his underlines, they, they were a little better, although I wasn't watching the game, so maybe you have a better read on that. But uh, he, he did seem slightly better than Ty Young. Yeah, it, I I love to see what happens to both of them because it is they're the same age and they split their starts there. So it'll be interesting to see as they both go pro. Ty Young is with the Vancouver Canucks system. Ty Brennan is with the Devils. Those are two very different systems. And it'll be interesting to see how they move throughout them and see what their two different development styles for a very bad junior team do for them because they have the same development background so we'll see how that goes it'll for anyone who likes to watch prospects side by side the tyler sagan taylor hall thing for goaltenders if anyone wants to watch that is the two ties out of prince george and it's tyler ty and taylor how fantastic was that analogy (laughs) thanks so much (laughs) all right thanks for giving us your instincts on the new jersey devils goalies cat we'll be back right after this Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Dynasty Dig, New Jersey Devils edition. There's a couple of decent prospects here. A lot of them graduated, but Victor, there's some darn ones left. They're ranked 19th overall in your FHL ranks, probably because the depth is not there the way it used to be. But the no-brainer is a no-question big-time prospect. Who is it? Absolutely. It is Luke Hughes, 2021 fourth overall pick. 626076 sorry left-handed D and he was at Michigan for his sophomore season after being a nearly a point per game as a freshman 10 goals 38 assists for 48 points in 39 games at Michigan he also came to the NHL and played for the Devils two points in two regular season games and two points in three playoff games was pretty nice we heard a little bit from Greg what he expects from Luke this season in the main part of the show but I just would mention that he is my number one ranked prospect D. So just give that away. He's awesome. And he has two years left on an entry level contract. So in those cap leagues, he's going to be gold for the next couple of seasons. When you look at Mitch Brown's tracking data for Luke Hughes this season at the NCAA and the games that he tracked, race out at a 97 for offense, 98 for transition, 15th percentile in defense. He was actually objectively really bad <laughs> at entry prevention defensive coursey retrieval success that's not good especially on such a good team you would expect that to be a little bit better just by association but a lot of his translatable plays like moving plays to the middle advantages created primary point involvement game score all of those are elite for luke Hughes. so i'm not sure that's going to be too much of an issue especially when he has a strong partner to do some of the more heavy lifting I think Luke Hughes is going to be okay, but that is a little bit worrisome. If you're wondering if he's where his other strengths lie, expected primary assists per 60 are just basically off the page, but also pretty good for expected goal production. So both of those are really good, and his transition game is excellent. Let's hear some more specifics from our FHL scout on Luke Hughes. That's right, and Puneet was our FHL scout today. Here's what he says about Luke Hughes. Solid skater, especially at his height, 6'2". The skating stride is so smooth, he makes it look as if he isn't even trying at times. Able to move the puck quickly up the ice with how fast he skates and how smooth he skates. Passing and handling, the puck handling is at an elite level with the level of speed he has while moving the puck. Shooting, strong and accurate. Luke Hughes is primarily a shoot-first defenseman. Any chance he gets, he'll take the shot. IQ, very high level. There are very few times you see any panic in him when on the ice. Puneet says that Luke Hughes is a good forechecker. He has the ability to pressure opponents, diligent in pursuing and fighting for the puck. Defense, as you said, Victor, maybe it's the thing that Hughes needs to work on a bit. His decision-making on the defensive side needs to be refined as he is always in attack mode. He tends to find himself out of position. This can be something taught and honed over the course of his career. So the best asset overall, the ability to create plays, open up the ice by drawing in the opponent, using his skating and speed to move the play out of their own zone into transition. Biggest concern, uh, Panut really isn't concerned about much, but if you had to choose something, it would be focusing on the defensive play. Top tier outcome, top tier number one defenseman with his style of play, vision on the ice, and the sheer talent that he possesses. Couple that with a supporting cast of elite players on New Jersey, and he will be able to be extremely creative and relaxed on the ice. 
The median outcome, skill, talent, and drive is definitely there, and he has the potential to easily be a top-pairing defenseman. Currently on the Devils, that's not going to happen with Hamilton in the way, says Puneet, but eventually he'll be the guy. And stylistic comparables, Miro Haskinen and, surprise, Quinn Hughes. The NHL ranking Mason Black has him all the way at superstar potential at this point in terms of the equivalency right up there, Luke Hughes breaking the charts. I remember I saw Luke Hughes's first game last year and I was like, how could you ever take this guy in the lineup again? And the the rank king poll, this is fun. He put Hughes up against Simone Nemec, who actually was drafted earlier in his draft by the New Jersey Devils. He was taken number two overall. Hughes was taken number four the year before. But as you may suspect, Hughes versus Nemec was no contest. Hughes 84% to Nemec, 16%. Victor, what do you think of that result? Makes sense to me. This is not even a question. I have been a pretty vocal Nemec doubter. I don't doubt that he's an NHL defenseman, but I doubt his offensive prowess as good as a year as he had in the AHL. And we'll talk about him later because he's actually one of the guys that we are going to be featuring but, you know, when you look at Luke Hughes and what he has to offer, yeah, especially when you look at this chart from Mason and how he has sustained for two seasons. Actually, if you count three seasons, he has sustained above a first line potential and two seasons at a superstar potential. That just doesn't happen when guys that bust out or aren't incredible. You really have to love that from Hughes. And he's definitely ahead in the depth chart uh, above Nemec, I would imagine he's going to get all the opportunity. He has the name, but beyond that, he's just a very talented offensive defenseman. And I think Nemec is by need and by just the way that he actually plays, be more of a transition defenseman, more of a two-way strong skating shutdown kind of guy. And I would definitely rather have Hughes than Nemec. And even without the context of the team, just by themselves, I think Hughes is a is a better fantasy asset. Whereas in real life, if you're starting a team, I don't know, man, that's a difficult question. Maybe you would want Nemec because he would be more of a better impact in real life kind of driving play. It's possible. I think the question is more difficult in real life, but in fantasy, it's not. I think you got to take Nemec. You got to take Hughes. And when you look at the hockey prospecting. Hughes is up there at 90% chance of being a star, 90% chance of being an NHLer. Pretty high for Nemec too, 83% to 83%. He stayed in that range. And part of that was due to his initial equivalency in his draft season was much higher than Hughes. But you also have to remember Hughes being super duper young. He was he was basically days away from being eligible for the following year draft. And if you regress his numbers, he's basically like 99th percentile. Like he's just incredible. So Hughes definitely wins out there for me. And I also find it really funny that his best comp in the hockey prospecting model is his current teammate, Dougie Hamilton. He, his numbers look identical to what Hamilton looked like at the time. And in his D plus three season, Hamilton went from 90 to 96% chance of being a star. So basically just a no brainer, like it was going to happen. And I think the same will happen for Hughes, just that he might not get all the, the best deployment, which was also true for Hamilton for many years, if you remember. And then if you look at the J fresh card, who's always a bit more pessimistic about some of these players have him at 13% chance of being a star, but I also like how they give a rank. So they have him as the 35th best prospect in in that model and that's not just defense but everyone but 96 percent chance of being an nhler and number 10 in that rank so yeah luke hughes 
Really good, Jesse. We knew that though, right? We heard something about it, Victor. We heard something about it. Next up, it's your need to know prospect. Who do we need to know? You need to know about Arseny Gritsyuk. And he was a 2019 fifth round pick by the Devils. He's a 5'11", 192 pounds. So we didn't hear much about him. He's now 22. He'll be 23 in the middle of March of next year. But we hadn't really heard much about him because he was in Russia. He was doing really well in the MHL in his D plus one season and then got a few games in the 2020-21 season, but had some injury issues and then had a pretty strong season in 21-22 with 28 points in 39 games for Avangard Omsk. And then last season, 40 points in 66 games for the same team. And so really showed up and came onto the radar. He incredible upside for someone who's a bit was it was a bit of an afterthought in terms of like where he was drafted fairly late not the biggest guy but seems to have some really good skill we'll hear more about that in a second but if you're talking about a fifth rounder here he's got to have some pretty significant upside so Arseny Gritsyuk is definitely falls into that category and let's hear a little bit more about him from our FHL scout that's right Arseny Gritsyuk we have another report from our guy Hunit Skating, good, deceptive with his speed and edges, able to catch his opponents off guard and flat-footed with his skating, passing and handling, very positive in those areas. Shooting, considered to be more of a goal scorer than anything else, but he has improved his overall game to also become an impressive passer. The IQ, panic meter, very low as a player that in play in all situations relied upon by coaching staff, he's considered a well-rounded player. Four checking, strong on the puck, impressive in puck battles, does not give up easily, and very dependable. The defense, rush, and end zone, known to be a solid five-on-five player, but has also been relied upon, playing in both shorthanded and man-advantage situations. Best asset, work ethic, very tenacious, works extremely hard when in the ice. Biggest concern, the size. However, he puts a lot of effort into his physique to play a tough game to make up for his 5'11 height, which, I mean, that's not that small either. Puneet says that the top-tier outcome, Tier 3, a 60-70 to point player with upside. The median outcome, probably a potential of a second-line player. Skill, talent, and drive is there. Just not how sure uh, how long it will take for him to develop, and he's already 22 years old. Stylistic comparison? Boy, comparisons have been drawn to Kirill Kaprizov. However, those, in Puneet's opinion, are very high. As indicated, may need to see more of him in his development to solidify any kind of comparison, maybe more of a David Perron, and that would be a pretty nice outcome. The NHL ranking Mason Black is giving us what we have to say about Arseny Gritsyuk, and it's coming out at about a second line potential. It's crested down just a little bit this year, but very good PNHLE similarity scores. Very high comparison to Kirill Marchenko, followed by Corey Perry. In terms of a ex-pole, Arseny Gritsyuk versus Dmitry Buchelnikov of Detroit Red Wings drafting fame. Buchelnikov was drafted in the second round of the 2022 draft versus Gritsyuk, of course, drafted in the fifth round of 2019. And Gritsyuk wins this, this vote off in X61 to 39% over Buchelnikov. Victor, which of these two would you rather have? Yeah, I would rather have Gritsyuk. I know that 
Bikelnikov had a, a little bit better draft pedigree, but he but Bergritsyuk has just had a better progression throughout the throughout his development and looking pretty darn good with that PNHLE at 66. I guess that was previously, but he looks pretty good in the KHL. He's someone who's really NHL ready and can probably come over soon. And so I like him. I think he, he's, yeah, he's probably more of a second line ringer, middle six, but second line. And he's got some pretty decent upside by the PNHLE marker. He doesn't look great in the hockey prospecting model, but that's because it took him a while. So he went from basically 14 NHLE to 61 in one season. So that was a huge jump. And usually the model likes that, but it also is skeptical of you being able to maintain that. Bukonikov still looks better in the hockey prospecting at this point. His D plus two is still at 12% chance of being a star. So he's definitely someone that I'm interested in. And longer term, he has the potential to raise his star potential even more uh, because he's a bit younger. I like both of them, but I would lean Gritsyuk here. I think he has one more year before he can come over, is from what I remember. But yeah, he both of these guys need to come over and have the potential of not or staying in Russia. But I think they will eventually. When you look at Gritsyuk, he has some other interesting comps. A lot of these guys are replacement level guys or potentially average producers like Jean-Gabriel Pajot. There's also a Mark Shifley mixed in there who broke this model to be a very strong producer. Gritschuk in the JFresh model looks really good, actually. 24% chance of being an NHLer. He's the 18th ranked forward in this group. So they must not worry too much about that long or that uh, increase late in his development. 81% chance of being an NHLer. So definitely looks different in all these models maybe depending on which one you believe a little bit more and the jfresh model usually being so pessimistic weird to seeing them be the highest on a player maybe pay a little bit more attention to our sunny gritsyuk here it's it's possible that he ends up being top six in a really stacked forward group for the devils for years to come and that would be pretty nice victor the keep your eye on prospect is by no means obscure who is it yeah, we already mentioned him, Simone Nemec, second overall in 2022, 6'1", 192-pound right-handed D, came to North America this past season and transitioned really well to the smaller ice of the AHL, 12 goals, 22 assists for 34 points in 65 games with Utica, and he's probably getting a look right now as we speak in camp and could potentially get some looks in the NHL this season. They have a pretty decent blue line already, so I'm not sure that they are going to need him. But they certainly, if they have some injuries, and depending on what happens with Hughes, maybe they just want him to tear up the AHL and give Nemec some opportunity. I don't know. We'll see. But Nemec, I was looking for some of these player cards, and Kyle Cushman does some, and he looks really good in this model or in this tracking data especially on the power play where he looked excellent. But even his play driving, for the most part, looked really good. His course C4 and overall was really good, although his even strength um, goals against per game was a little bit worse. The other thing that wasn't amazing was some of his offensive power play generation. But other than that, most of his numbers look really good for Simone Nemec. And let's hear a little bit more about what makes him tick from our FHL scout. All right, our FHL scout, Brandon, here's some of the highlights from his analysis of Nemec. Skating possesses poise through the entirety of his approach to the game. Skating is no exception. A powerful stride that can often get around the open ice. 
from the energy generated from the first few steps and his foot speed and cadence is rather efficient. He doesn't need a high turnover to generate speed. Passing and handling for Nemec, he passes the puck with purpose and authority. He has numerous puck touches per game. Could serve to be more accurate with his longer passes, though some of the incomplete passes may be the target not being ready for a heavier pass at that moment. Nemec is dynamic in his puck movement, doesn't settle for the direct, easy passes. In terms of shooting, Brandon says Nemec shows a propensity to shoot from various locations on the ice, though mostly from the low danger areas, often shooting when in motion or taking a one-touch shot that reverses the flow of the puck in the zone. He tends to add some extra zip on his shot so the goaltender is forced to track the puck and make an active save instead of simply letting the puck hit him. For IQ, Nemet sees the ice incredibly well, often reading the play one zone ahead of where it is moving. As mentioned before, he's incredibly calm and poised and often knows where he's moving the puck before it gets to the stick. And it's rare to see him hesitate or circle back on the play to get a different look. Forechecking, he rarely attacks the ozone as a pure forechecker without the puck, does Nemec, although there's some circumstantial moments in times where he will pursue the play in tandem with a forward. For defense, generally, Nemec has the ability to square up his opponent that both provides spatial visual coverage and allows him to keep his stick as the leading edge of the attack. He more often than not corrals the play to the boards to suffocate the momentum and options rather than blitz the puck carrier with high tempo. So the best asset overall for Nemec is veteran-like poise. The biggest concern, can he break his own mold and up his intensity to add an extra layer of dynamism to a more cerebral game? The top-tier outcome, top pair, all situations, defender, captain material, an offensive weapon, 60 to 70 points, fair share of shots, probably low hits. The median outcome, second pair that could eat minutes, provide secondary puck movement options for deeper forward lines, 30 to 40 point range. Stylistic comparable, the composure of Aaron Ekblad mixed with the mobility and offensive positioning of Dougie Hamilton at a touch of less intense and physical Josh Morrissey. The NHL rank king poll here has him well over first line, close to superstar potential in terms of his PNHLE equivalency. Shea Theodore, Rasmus Dahlin, Ivan Provorov as the top similarity scores. And we already told you, a Mason's trying to break our brains because he put Simone Nemec up against Luke Hughes before. We've already heard the outcome. Nemec was trounced, but at least now we've heard his side of the story. Victor, uh, I've already I already know where you compare these guys, but maybe you can tell us some more about Shimon Nemec in your eyes. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the biggest things I, I took from the report from Brandon, and I totally agree with, is the lack of dynamism from Nemec. He's a very safe, very capable, confident. He's someone you can tap on the shoulder in any situation and go out there and be comfortable with what you're getting but he's not the most dynamic. He's not someone who's going to make dangerous plays, which is both a good and a bad thing. He's not going to try for the difficult cross-seam pass that has to float between a couple of sticks. He's not going to try that because he always elects to do the safe thing. 
Which is good in terms of consistency and what you want in terms of not turning the puck over. But sometimes you want that offensive creativity. You want to take some risks in the offensive zone and you want to create those backdoor tap-ins. Those don't happen usually without a little bit of risk on the player's part. So I'm not sure that he's ever going to be that player. He definitely seems like a top pairing, throw him out there in any situation kind of guy and plays big minutes. And so he will definitely have value, but he's not going to have Luke Hughes value. He's not going to have David Yerichek value. I don't know that he even reaches the value of some of those comps, maybe just because he eats so many minutes. It's very possible. But I'm also not ruling out the chance that he can completely develop some of those skills. Once he becomes more confident, he could try to make some of those dynamic plays. I'm just not sure that's really in his skill set because he hasn't ever really done that that I have seen. So we'll see. Uh, but definitely someone that I would be interested in having. I would just be a little bit more realistic or conservative with where you think the upside is with Simon Nemec. And I have him much lower. He's my 15th ranked prospect, D, just ahead of Cam York and behind Denton Matejchuk. So I am definitely a little bit lower on his fantasy value. He's definitely someone that I probably will write up on EP ringside as being better in real life than in fantasy. But you shouldn't go selling his shares necessarily unless you're getting Luke Hughes or someone really great as the upside. Also looking at the JFresh card, or I should mention the hockey prospecting for Nemec individually has just three comps, Phil Housley, Bobby Orr, and Ryan Ellis. (laughs) Kind of hilarious comps. And anyone who's compared to Bobby Orr obviously is ridiculously talented and I don't think they're the same type of player at all, except for the skating is elite for both. But how each leveraged or leverages their skating is very different or was very dynamic and pushed the play and made opponents make force them into bad or difficult decisions. And Nimitz doesn't really do that. He uses his skating for a strong defensive presence and to push the play in transition, but not necessarily past the blue line, the offensive blue line. So very different in how they leverage those skills. And then looking at the JFresh card, it's pretty incredible. 78% chance of being a star, 100% chance of being an NHLer, which you just never see. So basically, he's the third ranked star prospect in the JFresh model and the second ranked NHLer. So yeah, there's that, that model likes him a whole lot. All the models pretty much like Nemec a lot. But the eye test tells a little bit of a different story. I think it's someone you should probably explore trading because people would, I'm sure, be interested and maybe you can get someone with even higher upside. So I think it's worth that exercise, but also be totally fine just hanging on with him and he will have value. So depends on where your expectations lie, whether you'll be disappointed or not, but he's a great player. And that's all we have time for. We There are more guys we could talk about. They actually have some pretty decent supporting cast, but we can talk about those on the top 10 list for each team, which we will do for the Devils. And if you're interested in becoming a scout, you can DM me, email me, or reach out on Discord. You can get some pretty great access to some underlying stats and videos, and it's a really good time and low expectation of just a couple of reports here and there. So yeah, fantasyhockeylife at gmail.com or at victorinear12 if you want to get in touch with me about that. Be right back to close out the show. Last one of these in the books. We appreciate everybody who has rode this thing out. The drafts, as you're listening to this, the 
NHL season start is almost here. So you have one last chance or a couple last chances to apply all this knowledge to what we have. We will have two episodes coming out before the opening night, and they will be regarding players who've changed positions, changed teams, that is, since this whole thing started, <laughs> since we started doing these previews. A couple things to remind you of. Fantrax.com is the place to play all your fantasy sports. You can play 10 different ones. You can customize everything. they got a few leagues that you can pay and, and get played on the site right now if you don't have a bunch of friends to play with and you don't mind playing for money and in a league where you don't have trades. But you can still set something up with your buddies or set something up with people that you find in the Fantasy Hockey Life Discord. I bet there's still some people trying to start leagues in there. There is a content end of Fantrax called Fantrax HQ. There's all kinds of fantasy hockey content coming out as well as content for all the other sports. There are other podcasts out there on Fantasy Hockey Life or Fantasy uh, Fantrax HQ. And that includes some baseball podcasts, football podcasts. We got all kinds of things. There's new stuff coming on all the time there. So if you're into other fantasy sports, check those out. We're part of the Fantrax Podcast Network. We're also part of the Dauber Podcast Network, where Victor Nuno does his writing at Dauber Prospects. And he also does a second podcast called Dauber Prospect Report with our friend Peter Harling, one of the top podcasters on hockey prospects in this whole space. I think you probably know him. It's a very good show. I do a second podcast because I'm all about Dynasty Sports in all of its forms, in all of the different sports. And so on that show, I talk about uh, all different sports. This past week, the episode was on a few players I got questions on, and I included my take on Alex DeBrinkett and Zach Benson. So if you're interested in those things, you can listen to that. Get into some other dynasty sports. Why not? Time to start thinking about your <laughs> start start thinking about your basketball season too while you're at it. We thank Nate Duffett, who's done a lot of work behind the scenes to help us prepare these. Follow us on X at Fan Hockey Life at Victor Nuno twelve. And subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Until the regular season starts, keep living that fantasy hockey life.